Coming to you live from the home of the NASA Space Center, Huntsville, Alabama. We are T minus six days and counting from Halloween Havoc. Welcome to the number one wrestling show anywhere in the world. WCW Monday Nitro on TNT. All right, everyone. Hello and welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our weekly breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro, on Twitter at 20 years of nitro, and you can email us 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. I am joined, as always, this week by my broadcast partner, Dave Amantorp. Hey, how's it going? We're so close to Halloween Havoc. Finally going to be seeing the giant in the ring. We're going to get the the sumo wrestling uh, monster truck challenge. Oh, man. Oh, God. There's there's a lot of stuff that they have to uh, prep us up for. And this week, we've also found our very own Mongo McMichael. <laughs> it's Dave's brother, John Amantorp. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I uh, Yeah, I've been able to hear all the shows you released and uh, really like it. So it's a thrill. I'm, I'm starstruck being here with such talented <laughs> podcasters. Well, today is October 23rd, 1995. We are in Huntsville, Alabama, as Eric Bischoff told us. In front of 7,000 fans, 2,100 of which paid to get in for a total gate of $18,000. That is a lot of paper in that arena. Uh, that, that's <laughs> so so 5,000 people got in for free? Yeah, and we've oh, actually, geez. if I remember right, in Denver, um, whatever week that was, back uh, week four or five, mm-hmm. there was there was more than that. It was like 75% of the fans were wow. were yeah. free. There's a, there's a lot. A lot of these Nitros have, I would say, 40, 50, 60% of the people there are not paid. And it's pretty incredible yeah. considering the turnaround we'll see by 97 where they're selling out in minutes. Uh, you know, just how, how quick it was that when wrestling gets hot, it's hot. And when it's not, it really isn't. Right. Yeah. Hey, I, I want to touch on something quick. I don't want to get too far off topic before we get started. But um, one thing I remember Eric Bischoff said is that he felt like the reason why um, WCW kind of turned around when he took over is because he viewed it more as a, a TV product than like a touring product, like right. a circus, you yep. know? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I think to this point, they're still mostly going head-to-head, and they're really competitive with Raw, even though the WWF, obviously live, was drawing much bigger audiences. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's interesting that live, they still can't get people to the arenas, but on TV, they are still they look really successful because their ratings are still pretty huge. Yep, That's yep. pretty interesting. I didn't know their attendance was so poor early on. This week is, as uh, Dave mentioned, our go-home show for Halloween Havoc, and we start immediately in the ring with Macho Man's music hitting, and he comes out to take on Kurosawa, who gets a complete jobber entrance. <laughs> Kurosawa is out with Colonel Robert Parker, and uh, Mongo lets us know that we are in the heart of Dixie to see some wampin' and a stompin'. <laughs> <laughs> so right away, uh, Colonel Robert Parker, I don't know what he's saying to Macho Man, but he gets right in his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, Macho Man pushes him over. The cigar goes flying, and the cigar stays in the ring for about half the match. It looks it looks like so. a small turd sitting in the <laughs> ring. <laughs> oh, um, something interesting about this too is not only does Kurosawa get 
a jobber entrance, but it's a jobber entrance to start the show. Right. I've never seen that before. I, I don't remember that ever happening again. That's pretty... That's, that's we, It's pretty the first cool. time we've seen it on Nitro to this point. That's definitely yeah. true. Um, in previous weeks, we have also seen that uh, Arn Anderson has gotten jobber entrance main event. Yeah. Wow. Kurosawa opens the match with kicks and punches. Just a lot of kicks and punches. Mm-hmm. Mongo, for some reason, refers to this as reverse psychology. I have no idea what the fuck he's talking about, <laughs> as per usual. Also, at ringside, Colonel Robert Parker makes kind of like a grand gesture of clipping a new cigar and putting it in his <laughs> mouth, which I I, I like Colonel Robert Parker. We haven't really talked too much about him in depth, but yeah. he's got just this character of like an old plantation owner, and uh, <laughs> he's got the cigar, the big hat, and a white suit, and I, I really dig the character. Yeah. He's, he's enjoyable to watch. Kurosawa continues to endlessly kick Macho Man, occasionally throwing in punches for a little variety. Eventually, Macho pulls Kurosawa to the outside by the trunks, uh, and it's more of the same on the outside. Kurosawa kicks and punches Macho Man endlessly. One thing I noticed this week, um, and I've been reading the Wrestling Observers from the era, and he, he uh, Dave Meltzer talks a lot about this. There's not a lot of signs at WCW shows, and apparently they were uh, big on confiscating signs mm-hmm. and just handing out their own pre-made ones. Okay. And this supposedly goes back to, um, I think it was in Chicago where we saw the WCW sign that turned into an ECW sign. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they were really unhappy with that, and that started uh, a lot of crackdown on the, the sign participation by the audience. Yeah, that's interesting, because especially like when the NWO gets hot and like with Stone Cold Steve Austin, it was just a sea of signs right. every week, even though the arenas weren't necessarily getting bigger. They were so much rowdier, and everyone had a sign, it seemed like. Our most exciting moment of the match uh, comes when Kurosawa hits a baseball slide to the outside. Mongo and Bischoff at this point plug the the Braves, who are in the World Series against the Cleveland Indians. Right. Um, Mongo says, they're Turner, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, we know why you're plugging them. <laughs> Seems like maybe you wouldn't call that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, this, is this around the point when Kurosawa tries to do the kick and hits the ring post instead? That comes a little later, actually. Okay. Yeah, because uh, that... That one in particular, like, they really catch the audio on that. It just sounds awful. <laughs> right. We actually first, though, get a commercial uh, with a little Halloween Havoc promo thrown in. Yes. That man is still going to become a monster, and the monster is still going to become the man. When the monster becomes the man. Back from commercial, it's more of the same. Punches and kicks, punches and kicks. <laughs> Eventually, Randy ends up on the baseball, uh, on the outside and avoids another baseball slide. And that is the point where he dodges a kick, as Dave mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. The kick goes right into the ring post. Kurosawa sells it for like five seconds or so. Oh, yeah. And I think you can tell from the sound it makes when he kicks the post that he's got a lot of padding in the front of his boots. Yeah. I think that's why it sounds like kind of almost like hollow a little bit, you know? The announcers keep bringing up during this match that Macho Man has an injured uh, arm. Yeah. When, when did that happen? Not, I don't remember seeing it, um, yeah. but I believe that it's true. And that arm injury and whether or not his arm actually is injured uh, will become a sort of a focal point of an infamous segment at the beginning of our next pay-per-view that we'll talk about in a few weeks down the road. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and, th- and this was a point where uh, Bobby Heenan said, you wouldn't even want to face Kurosawa with two good arms, let alone one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because Kurosawa, like, just about the only thing I remember about him is that he had the cross arm breaker as a finisher. Yep. And you'd think it'd be really natural that if his opponent comes in the taped arm, he'd be working on it the whole time. He's just sitting there kicking him and yeah. walking around <laughs> and it's just really slow and nothing happens. 
eventually Macho Man uh, gets a quick victory by turning the tide. He sort of pushes Kurosawa throat first into the ropes and then clothesline clotheslines him in the back, which causes Kurosawa to fall down on his stomach. Macho Man then goes up for the elbow, and Kurosawa has to simultaneously flip over onto his back, reorient his legs and his head to opposite sides of the ring, right. and scooch a good four to five feet yeah. to be in position for the elbow. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Yeah. It's if uh, it's the kind of thing where if you were watching with like your friend that didn't like wrestling, they're just going to be pointing at that and laughing, and you're going to feel like an idiot. You yeah. Know? Um, also, at some point, Mongo uh, was, was saying how Savage has never favored a body part like he has this arm injury. Yeah. Which is interesting because a few weeks ago when he faced Scott Flash Norton, yep. they acted like he was paralyzed from his back injury. And they kept saying in that match, I've never seen Macho Man this injured. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was back in week two. <laughs> yeah, Mongo, like, 30 seconds into the match says something like, I've never seen the macho man get so physically dominated like this before. And I, I went back and counted and Kurosawa hit like three moves up to that point. <laughs> um, oh, just sorry. Like a, a small thing. I don't want to get us off track again, but this is really weird booking for me having Kurosawa in, even though he's definitely like a lower card guy um, at Halloween Havoc. He has a match with Hawk. And before this, he gets a jobber entrance, and he's in a match that he loses cleanly after Macho Man hits, like, two moves on him. Yeah. Did they have nobody else on the roster that could have taken this loss for the Macho Man? Yeah, see, they, they've done that before. Another thing, another moment that that I can recall was right after Fall Brawl. Johnny B. Bad was the number one contender for the U.S. title and then just lost clean to Paul uh, Orndorff. Paul yeah, Orndorf. a heel <laughs> that was going nowhere. Right. Yeah, we yeah. haven't seen uh, Orndorff since that appearance. <laughs> right. No kidding. I didn't even think of that. Uh, so this was a pretty ugly match. Not very enjoyable. Very boring. Kurosawa, I think, is a better wrestler than this, but they've told him to use a martial arts kind of kick uh, punch, you know, generic Japanese sort of offense, and I think it really hurts the match. Uh, what would you guys think? Poor, poor match. Yeah, it was. There, were, I mean, I remember the ring post thing, but other than that, there's nothing. Remember, I mean, besides the finish. Yeah. Like, because I noticed that too, that he had to do all this maneuvering to make sure he lost, and that this is kind of embarrassing. But other than that, there really isn't anything else I get from this. We go to a shot of the announcers who inform us that uh, Hulk Hogan and the Dungeon of Doom are both in the building this week, and there are no restraining orders. So I don't know why uh, they're now allowed. It's one week, there's a restraining order, and the Dungeon of Dude tries to get in anyway. The next week, uh, the Giant's not there, but Hogan is. And now, they're both there, and there's no... Rest- so, there's really no rhyme or reason to when they take restraining orders out, when they choose to enforce them. Right. Maybe they've just decided at this point that they're unenforceable, that these two uh, want to get at each other so much that you can't stop them with a restraining order. <laughs> the but then they don't really... The Dungeon of Doom <laughs> will get through any restraining order. <laughs> This is also uh, when Bobby Heenan brings up his great, like, story, like, joke or whatever, where he talks about the airline pilot. Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, let's go to an audio clip of that moment right now. In case you just joined us, the WCW World Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan is here live in the building. So is the Giant. So is the Dungeon of Doom. There are no restraining orders. This thing could be trouble we've seen what's happened in the last several weeks mongo i hope they couldn't restrain themselves and wait for halloween havoc when these guys get together 
all hell breaks loose. You Absolutely. know, coming in today on the plane, the pilot left the cabin, came up to me. He says, tell me about the match tonight. Do you think Sting can trust Luger? I said, hey, Sky King, get back up there and fly this bird. Don't concern yourself with that. Let Sting worry about Luger. That is a classic Bobby line right there. That is uh, that is really some good work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he reuses this line during Halloween Havoc, and he, the delivery is not nearly as good. Oh, no. And yeah, also, <laughs> yeah, and also Tony Giovanni is there, and oh, he just kind of just staring blankly. <laughs> right. Pepe is on screen at this point, and uh, this week he's wearing a charming little denim shirt that kind of matches Mongo's denim shirt, as well as a uh, cowboy hat. Pepe looking cute as ever. I noticed uh, it was only after we had recorded the episode, but one of the episodes a few weeks ago. Um, I noticed that it, during one of the shots of the announcers where he's not holding Pepe. I just looked, I noticed that down in like the, between where his zipper is, Pepe's just tucked into his jacket. So I think that's where he's normally watching the show from, is just tucked into Mongo's clothes, and then he's brought out for the one part where we can see his cute outfit, then he just goes back inside his shirt or whatever. It's probably why he always looks so anxious, like when they get the close-ups, he's always like shaking and stuff. That poor oh, dog. yeah. Yeah. It's amazing that we've never seen him pee on Mongo yet. I'm still hoping it yeah. could happen. Lights go out at the announcer's table as they're talking, and uh, they they speculate that maybe a fuse is blown. They're not sure what happens when all of a sudden a light goes on and the master of the Dungeon of Doom is shown high above the audience on his throne, and he delivers one fuck-crazy promo. (laughs) I don't know what else to call it, but before we... Uh, play that promo for you. Just a little bit of background on the master, because we didn't really, we haven't really talked about him too much with the Dungeon of Doom. We alluded to the fact that uh, the Dungeon of Doom was started when Kevin Sullivan went out into the jungle uh, and found this cave, and he was actually called to the jungle by the master who appeared on the video screen after a pay-per-view match that C- Sullivan had. Huh. So he's beckoned out to the jungle. He goes. He finds this cave. Inside is the master, and the master turns Kevin Sullivan into the Taskmaster, I, which is terrible branding. If you're the master, <laughs> why make your number one assistant the Taskmaster? Uh, and he then bestows upon the Taskmaster the job of ending Hulkamania, and he gives him a group of warriors, uh, the Dungeon of Doom, to do so. Right. So that's the sort of story behind the Dungeon of Doom. Quote-unquote warriors, such as, <laughs> right. such as the shark and uh, Zodiac. Zodiac. I tried looking it up. I don't think Zodiac ever won a match on TV. Wow. Like maybe he squashed some guy on like Saturday night, but I looked at his bio online. I couldn't find a single win while he was a Zodiac. <laughs> the master is portrayed by former pro football player, ex-disc jockey, and retired pro wrestler, the Hawaiian Curtis Iakea. Uh, you can tell that he's a wrestler because of his absolutely disgusting forehead, which yes. is just yeah. one of the, it's Dusty Rhodes level bad. It uh-huh. is awful. Uh, he has competed all over, including a lot of NWA territories, uh, the AWA, where he was United States champion, and the WWWF, where he was a tag team champion. Uh, so he's been playing the master for a while, and I believe this is the first time that he's appeared in person in front of the live crowd. Usually he's in pre-taped segments inside the, the actual dungeon. So this is his first time, I think, cutting a promo in front of people. Yeah, and the only way the character could be more ridiculous is if he's actually live in the arena. At yeah. least, like, the the backstage stuff, you can kind of suspend disbelief a little bit. But, like, there's people, like, hooting in the background and not <laughs> caring about the promo and stuff. And he's just still really going for it, though. I kind of like that. Let's hear that promo now. 
Sting teaming up with the total package, Lex Luger, coming your way as they face Harlem Heat in... Wait, wait. What, did they blow a fuse or something? What's going on? Solomon! Uh-oh. My son! The insurance package has been delivered from north of Kathmandu, from the Himalayas and the north face of Mount Everest. The super guys have dug out a 13-ton of ice. Solomon! In Chicago! When you clip the whiskers of the rare white fingered tiger, he wonders though he has not surrendered his colors. He wonders in darkness. You see, my son. The eyes of the demon will come calling on Hulk Hogan at Halloween Havoc. Oh, man, forget about Nightmare on Elm Street. We've got Nightmare Live right here in Huntsville. Mean Gene Oakland is standing by. Take it, Gino. I thank you very much, Eric Bischoff. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the giant, the man that's going to be facing Hulk Hogan, man versus man, machine versus machine this Sunday in Detroit. Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, what's the meaning of this man being here, and what is this iceberg all about? This is the insurance policy. My father went with the Sherpa guides to get the Yeti to bring it back. We thought he surrendered the colors of yellow and red, but now he wears black because he walks in the land of madness. You see, I was right. Evil does dwell in Hulk Hogan's heart, and I myself don't think there is one bit of goodness left. You see, this is the only insurance this big man needs. All right, I thank you, Kevin Sullivan. I don't know what's in there, Giant, but I'm nervous. <laughs> Hogan, the rare white Bengal tiger, the biggest cat in the jungle. You're running out of lies, Hogan. When I get you in the ring, Halloween Havoc, I will take your last life from you and the WCW Heavyweight Championship belt. You will find the one true immortal is not you, but me. The giant, the immortal giant. <laughs> this guy is trying for Halloween Havoc. I don't know what you've done with Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, but he is ready. He's ready, but what I saw sent shivers down my spine when we plucked the whiskers off the rear white Bengal tiger. It snapped something inside of him. And as my father said, this has to be stopped in Detroit. Hogan, the insurance policy is there. 
the WCW World Heavyweight Belt will be the Giants. More. He is a very confident taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan of the Giant. Eric Bischoff, a little bit later on, I'm going to be talking to Hulk Hogan. Right now, let's get back to you. As you heard there, the master uh, basically screams uh, every word that he says. And he tells us that uh, Sherpas in the on the face of the Himalayas, uh, <laughs> north of Sh- I, it's he basically tells us that they've got an insurance policy for the Dungeon of Doom, yeah, and it is a yete that is encased <laughs> in a block of ice, which is then revealed uh, inside the arena. Yeah, I thought it was really weird that he uses all of, like this mysticism mm-hmm. and like illusions and stuff. But then they refer to the Yeti as an insurance policy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't well, really think of that. Of <laughs> all the people like in wrestling history, is the giant like the least eligible for me needing an insurance policy at this point? Yeah, it's right. really a bizarre yeah. choice to introduce that element this yeah. late in the game. Yeah. In the go-home show, for mm-hmm. of all things. Yeah. Uh, the master, I really have a problem with his promo because... You want to listen to it and laugh at all the weird illusions, but it's hard to understand a word he says because he bellows every word in the exact same cadence. Yeah. Just everything is screamed at the top of his lungs. And I'm impressed with the guy's ability to memorize this gobbledygook bullshit, but it just ends up droning on. And you it's like Kevin Sullivan's promos mm-hmm. where you just end up tuning the guy out. Yeah, or maybe... Maybe these really weren't memorized. Maybe he had an idea of what he wanted to say and just kind of like threw out things that sounded like that'd be even more impressive. I, yeah, <laughs> I'd be curious if he's improving or how scripted that is. That's yeah. a that's a good point. Uh, we then went down to Mean Gene, uh, who's down on the floor with Kevin Sullivan and the Giant. They've done a really obvious but kind of cool bit of staging where the giant is standing a good three feet closer to the camera uh-huh. than Gene and Kevin Sullivan to make him look even bigger than he is. Right, because he needs that help. That's good, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of liked cool. it, actually. Yeah. I, I thought it was neat. I mean, they could have done it a little less to make it less obvious, but yeah. it was still it was still a good idea. It was, yeah, it's a small thing the company does well, and it's a company with a history of not getting any of the small things right. Sure. That's a good thing, I think. I also feel like that the Giants' promo skills are improving, too. His promo's all right. Yeah. Um, I agree. Sullivan's promo, on the other hand, just restates everything the Master just told us. Yeah. So now I'm just having another guy tell me that Sherpas in the Himalayas found the insurance <laughs> policy. I, ju- I It's really weird. I don't know why they have him talk at all. Yeah. I like uh, the Giant calling Hogan the red and yellow Bengal tiger. I kind of like that. Did he call? Oh, I did. I missed <laughs> yeah, that. I yeah. only heard the rare white Bengal tiger, which is uh, <laughs> what the master normally refers to Hogan as. Sure, yeah. All right. So then we get a commercial, including a nice little Slim Jim promo from the Macho Man. And we are still with Mean Gene, who this time welcomes Hulk Hogan to the show. Uh, they just do this promo right in the aisle way. I don't know. Just go all the way to the ring. It, it kind of seems weird to me to do it in the aisle. Yeah. yeah. And um, I like that they introduce him as like uh, like the biggest wrestling star in the world and the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. And at the end, they say, and the star of Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> like there's, so, there's some weird guy in the crowd that's like, I don't know why I'm at this stupid. Sh- oh, the guy from Thunder in Paradise. Yeah. Okay, well, this is worth it. I, I actually had it in my notes that Gene Okulin refers to him as the star of Thunder in Paradise before referring to him as the WCW champion. Oh, okay. Okay. I think I got that. Which I thought wrong, was but... kind of funny because they try to make the, his show more important than like the championship. The one <laughs> thing we can agree on is mentioning it at all is hilarious. <laughs> right. Regardless of show, where. Was right. the show even still on at this point? I, I 
think it only lasted one season, and uh, he was filming it when they signed him in 94, so I would be surprised if it was, but it seems, I don't think, I don't know. Maybe still East in syndication or something. I know they did a lot of like lead-in episodes right before Nitro, too. Hogan is still wearing uh, his black attire and selling his new uh, dark attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, he has one particularly great line in this promo, which is uh, he tells us that though he walks through the valley of the Dungeon of Doom, he will fear no evil, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I really like I really like a biblical illusion ending with the word <laughs> dude. That's high quality promo right there. And I like that he always says the WCW. Like they all the do time. that. The former Brent Hart did it too. I can't stand former, it. Former former WWF guys constantly in their promos will refer to it as the WCW, which doesn't make sense because the WWF would just be abbreviated the Federation. Mm-hmm. The wrestling makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah, it's a little thing that always bothers me. Yeah. And Hogan does it even more than most because he just spent years yelling about the WWF and he can't turn that part of his brain off. Yeah. Also, he he makes a reference to the Yeti, which is he's like one one of the other guys aside from the announcers that refer says it that way. It's very interesting because when I uh, just watched Halloween Havoc, you know, because it's an infamously hilarious uh, pay per view. Yeah, I always thought I always laughed at Tony Schiavone, and I just thought he didn't know how to pronounce Yeti. But it's very clear when you watch this that a lot of people have been coached to say it Yeti. Right. I don't know if it's like a copyright thing, if there was a wrestler <laughs> who already went by the Yeti. It's very strange. Yeah, uh, so thought... it's clearly not just Shivani. It's it's a choice they made. Yeah. I thought it was like when the master would say it, he'd drag it out so it'd be like six syllables instead of two. And I thought they, like one person, you know, uh, just inferred what he said wrong and then right. everyone else <laughs> yeah. followed him. Uh, Hogan makes a reference to uh, wearing black gloves, and he says that we all know what a guy with black gloves can do, and I am pretty sure, given the timing of this, that that is an O.J. Simpson reference. Oh. And I think that's pretty fucking weird and (laughs) gross and awful of Hogan. Uh, Hogan plugs his monster truck a little bit, um, so they're still still pumping away at that. Yeah. (laughs) Hogan then bizarrely kind of... He's this whole thing has been sort of a little bit of a character change, but not an outright heel turn. Right. But he at this point in the promo just all of a sudden starts running down Sting, Macho Man, and Luger, claiming that they've all turned their back on him. I don't know why. I don't know in what way they've turned their back on him. Yeah. And he also accuses Sting of stealing his look by wearing red and yellow and growing a Fu Manchu. Uh Hogan then calls himself the bad guy and says that he's going to beat all those guys. So <laughs> now they're before it was teasing just a new attitude for Hogan. Now they're almost teasing full-on heelism. Huh. Yeah, there, yeah. There's no reason for him not to trust Sting at this point, right? Like Luger you get, and Macho Man's always been kind of a wild card, but has Sting ever done him wrong in any way up to this point? No, no he, absolutely he was, not. He was the one that was trying to figure out the whole Fall Brawl team when it was going to fall apart. So yeah, he's yeah. always been like right beside Hogan and has never really said anything. He never even talks about going for the championship or anything like He's that. He's the only yeah. one out of Hogan's buddies that never talks about it. Yeah, Luger outright shouldn't be trusted based right. on some of the things he's done. Macho Man has never done anything but support Hogan, although he admits that he would like to be champion. Yeah. But nothing inherently wrong with that. Right. Um, but he's never he's never even teased turning on Hogan in any way. 
And yeah. Sting hasn't even said, I want to be... Well, because he's the current U.S. champion. Yeah, he's busy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's absolutely no reason for this weird turn uh, and trying to bury his friends. I'm, it's really confusing. Yeah, Sting, yeah, Sting is busy defending his title against the likes of VK Wall Street and The Shark, who have all, like, really done their done their work to earn those title matches. Yeah, worked their way up the ranks. Yeah. Yeah, another thing with this, too, is Hogan's wearing the uh, the lightning bolt tights here that mm-hmm. he later wears Hollywood Hulk Hogan. I thought that was kind of... I didn't notice that when I was younger. That was, I think, the same and tights. And he... I don't know if... He, does he has the does he have the weight belt? He's got the weight belt, but it says Hulkster on the back, just like his other, oh, I don't okay. know, I guess, weight belts do that he had for whatever reason. We next get a promo for Saturday night. Uh, the only thing I want to note there is that the American males are going to take on Harlem Heat for the American Males Tag Team Championships. And I suspect, and we'll talk about next week, I suspect that this is an opportunity to get the belts back on Harlem Heat because as we mentioned uh, in the episode where the titles switched, they've already had a few weeks of filming that have Harlem Heat with the titles. Yeah. So that uh, switch to the American Males was a previously unplanned switch. So this must be an attempt, in my I am guessing, to get the belts back on Harlem Heat so future television doesn't have to be retaped. Um, from what I saw with the tapings is that Harlem Heat on uh, September 26th tapings won the titles. They got the titles back. So they, they actually won them about a month ago. Oh, okay. Well, that's probably the episode that's airing yeah. this Saturday. So it was taped on the 26th, but it's airing this coming Saturday. Yeah, WCW, when it comes to the Saturday night, they do a lot of like really weird. Uh, I, I I think they're inconsistent as far as like how many weeks in advance they go. And they don't really make sure that Nitro follows along with that very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they adjusted that by turning Saturday Night more of like a lower mid-card show. Like, I know um, there's the one episode where Hacksaw Jim Duggan finds a TV title in the garbage. And he defends yeah. it on there like every week for a few months. And then he's never even on Nitro. Right. So, yeah, they obviously, I think, noticed there were continuity problems there. Mm-hmm. Malenko's uh, sweet music plays next, and he comes out with Chris Benoit to face Alex Wright and Eddie Guerrero. Uh, but as Eddie and Alex Wright make their entrance, it's clear that Alex Wright is injured. He's on crutches. Yep. So instead, it will be Eddie and Mr. JL. Yes. Uh, turns out that Alex Wright had suffered an injury in a match with Chris Benoit, which they don't mention that it was with Chris Benoit, which is bizarre because he's in the match. His nickname is the Canadian Crippler. Right. <laughs> Why wouldn't you mention that he injured a guy who's standing right there? <laughs> That's like just that. a really shitty oversight, on, in my opinion. Yeah, and I like that Alex Wright's got his all of his ring gear on. He's even got his wrists right. taped. Yeah. And, and he's all oiled up and stuff. He's got his hair combed. He's otherwise ready to go, except <laughs> he's got the big knee brace on. I'm so used to wrestling, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, You're not going to wrestle. Put on <laughs> right. some fucking pants. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because he's do, he's wearing the uh, the the speedos and then a leather jacket that he always wears to the ring. Yeah, so I, he has given accommodation to wearing the jacket. Why not just throw some pants on, bud? Also, at one point, Heenan says that the reason why Alex Wright is injured is because he was trying out the moves of the Disco Inferno. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, something else to note too here is there's at least two unironic mullets in this match. Mm-hmm. Eddie Guerrero and Benoit both have like really big, dry, fluffy ones. Oh yeah. And I was just thinking, like, do you guys think 20 years from now, like, the man bun is going to be, like, referred to the same way as the mullet? Oh, that's a good question. Because a lot of wrestling, like, from this time is almost hard to watch because all the guys have fluffy, dried mullets and mustaches. (laughs) And that look just didn't age well at all, you know? Especially a lot of the referees do. So no matter who's wrestling, each match features a mullet at some point or another. Yeah, Yeah, both Randy Anderson and... um, 
Nick, Nick Patrick look like different size versions of Kenny Powers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Bischoff decides to speculate about... He, he kind of does a little Seinfeld bit here. He goes, Mr. JL, what does that mean? That's like E.T. JL, what's that all about? <laughs> and it's just the world's shittiest stand-up riff I've <laughs> right. ever heard. He's Those are two letters. E.T. is also two letters. I'm going to compare them now. So he's basically like, hey, what's the deal with JL? <laughs> yeah. Is he E.T. or something? <laughs> uh, and plus at that time, too, on camera and obviously um, backstage, Bishop was like the talent relations guy that was bringing in all the new guys. So even on TV, he sounds like an idiot when a new guy shows up and he's the only one that doesn't know who he is. <laughs> it also it draws attention to what a shitty name Mr. JL is. That's a terrible, terrible yeah. name. Uh, it it's may, just it may, really Mr. X. Mr. Yeah. X is more generic, but it's better than Mr. JL. I mean, the thing with Mr. JL is it sounds like it's going to be a mystery that will be revealed later on. Like, what does JL stand for? But no, not right. really. In one of the hundred matches he loses, nobody thought to like unmask him afterwards. <laughs> I guess nobody cared what the mystery was. Uh, also, uh, talking about the guys in this match, Chris Benoit's yellow tights are just gross as hell. Yeah, it's a, it's just it's like a mellow yellow kind of, and there's a big star between his butt cheeks. It's like a bullseye on the back. <laughs> Eddie and Benoit start at the match uh, with a lot of reversals and holds, as always with these cruiserweights. I'd love to call more moves, but I don't know the names of a lot of this shit. So uh, trust me that it's cool and it's fast paced, uh, but I don't I don't know what to call a lot of these things. Uh, they keep going until Benoit tags in Malenko, who hits Eddie with a plancha over the top rope. He then holds Eddie for Benoit to hit a tope, uh, but Eddie moves and Benoit nails Malenko. JL then uh, runs off the ropes and hits his own plancha over the top rope with an assist from Eddie, who kind of tosses him. Yep. And Bischoff says, and I'm going to say this in the cadence that Bischoff calls it, JL with a full court, high-flying double Press body slam. <laughs> and he after he says slam, he hurries into the next sentence so quick. Yeah, there's almost like a question inflection like body slam? He does not want anyone to notice how dumb the thing he just said was. Mongo says that would be a double fine in professional football. And he really emphasizes professional, which really makes it sound like he thinks this is amateur football. Also, I don't know what a double fine is. <laughs> They're really on the top of their game in the announcing yeah. booth this One week. thing with Mongo I do want to say as kind of a positive is he really was trying to put over wrestling as being um, a higher class of athleticism than football, which is weird because he pushes it really, really hard, especially the first few weeks, like almost awkwardly. But I like that he's at least trying instead of, you know. Yeah, but I agree the, with that. I mean, the only thing is, like, he he says it in a way in which he runs down football all the time, and that was, like, his professional sport. Right. <laughs> Eddie takes control in the ring until Malenko hits him with a drop kick and a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. JL is tagged in, but Bischoff uh, instead sends us to... Well, first he alludes to a fight backstage. He says, there's cha there's chaos going on, and then he trails off because the director must have told him that they're not ready yet. <laughs> so he just says, there's chaos going on, and then just goes back to calling the match. Yeah. And then 30 seconds later, he goes, we've just been informed there's a fight in the back. But we know you haven't just been informed because you clearly started a reference right. at a good 30 <laughs> seconds earlier. Uh, but we do, we get to a split screen and the fight in the back is between Scott Norton and the Shark. 
Finally, this I, is a shocking follow-up because <laughs> their their ins, uh, their disagreement started back in week two. Yeah. Uh, so here we are, a full what six weeks later, a month and a half, and they're following up on uh, the loss that Scott Norton suffered to Macho Man when the shark hilariously got knocked out and fell across his legs, uh, which the referee chose to ignore. I I said then, and I say now that loss was bullshit. Yeah, what a terrible way to debut a guy, you know? Like, Yeah, that was an episode full of bad debuts. Yeah, because yeah. it's another thing where it's a really high card guy that in Macho Man there, he could have just gotten murdered and lost and then come back the next week and it wouldn't hurt him at all. Mm-hmm. But instead he has to get the win. That I guess that's a, a big symptom of WCW's problems. Malenko hits a cheap shot in the corner. Uh, Benoit tags in Dean at that point who locks in, in a, an abdominal stretch as we go to a commercial. Oh, also, I want to say as far as that split screen, yeah. to their credit, this time they did not defer away from the action. They just kept on split screen. Well, that's because this is Scott Norton and the Shark. Last time it was Hogan. Ho- oh, I imagine right. if it was Sorry. Hogan, he would. I don't see myself being on a split screen, brother. I Wasn't, think I need the whole screen. Yeah, because last time didn't Hogan interrupt a Dean Malenko match? Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. just him walking, right? It was him coming out of the limo in the parking lot and cutting a little promo which was just a preview, essentially, of the same promo that he would give later in yeah. that same show. Yeah. On the return from commercial, Malenko is still dominating Mr. JL, including a very nice uh, belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. Bischoff tells us that he has never seen this side of Hulk Hogan. It makes him uncomfortable, and it scares him. <laughs> also, at some point, to Mongo McMichael's credit, he says, why does the giant need backup anyway? Yep. And, you know, if Mongo McMichael is the one that's figuring out before the other two. <laughs> it's him trying to get him over, but basically, like, calling the whole thing out is ridiculous, you know? So it's good that he's trying, but the execution was pretty poor. Right. The heels keep on tagging in and out, doing a good job of working over JL. Uh, Bobby has a fantastic point at this uh, moment where he points out that the Giant can do a ton of scouting on Hogan. There's hundreds of Hogan matches to watch, mm-hmm. but Hogan can only wish he'd never heard the Giants' name. Wow. <laughs> and I was Ooh. like, that is a really cool way of phrasing that. Yeah. That was, yeah. yeah, Bobby nailed that. He's he's on fire tonight with that uh, pilot joke and some actually trenchant insight. Like, Bobby is, he's working yeah. the, I, I'm digging what he's laying down right now. Alex Wright starts hyping the crowd up to build for the hot tag to Eddie, uh, but Benoit lifts JL for a suplex and then tosses him gut first right into the ropes. That's followed up quickly by a superplex. JL finally gets some offense and hits a spinning elbow on Dean and gets the hot tag to Eddie. Eddie hands out some drop kicks, and the crowd uh, actually is into the match at this point. They've been popping for a few of the moves. They're, they're definitely more into this match than we've seen in some of the cruiserweight matches before. I think the crowd is starting to get trained into what these guys are and what they can do. Yeah, uh, I just have a point to make when it comes to Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko. At some points during this match, it seems like that they are being victims of like facing each other too many times because they're pr- they're pretty well telegraphing what they're doing. Like uh, one point, I remember that Agro whips Malenko into the ropes, and then he immediately drops down for Malenko to come back over and and like step over him. Then he but he does it like so early, and then there's an- another one instance where Eddie Guerrero gets on to. Blinko's shoulders before he does like a, a her corona or something like that. Uh, but 
it, maybe it's just maybe their timing was just a little bit weird. But like this night in particular, it seems like they are they look overly rehearsed. Yeah, this match has uh, overall. There's just a few little things here and there. It's it's a lesser match than you'd think, given the quality of the contenders. Uh-huh. Um, part of it is that JL, Jerry Lynn is still fairly green, I think, and Jerry Lynn becomes a, a technical master. Uh, but at this point, he's just got some little issues. There's one moment um, where Malenko is in the corner over in the the babyface's corner, and Eddie runs up and he wants to climb up to the top rope and then hit a head scissors. Uh, but JL is like draped over the rope trying to get tagged in and Eddie gets up on the top rope and has to shove his own partner <laughs> out of the way so that he can hit the move. And there's just little things like that where yeah. these guys are just not quite firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're busy laying out their Halloween Havoc matches or or exactly <laughs> what's going on, but it's not a bad match. It yeah. just feels like it's less than it could have been. Yeah. Since these are the guys you have on the show specifically so that they put on a great match. Oh, yeah. And they get two segments, too. It's not like it's like a four-minute tag team match. Like They have like 10 or 15 minutes or something, so I guess yeah. you would kind of expect a little better result. Eddie takes Benoit out of the ring, and Dean and JL end up in the ring. Bischoff tells us that the referee is counting out Benoit and JL as uh-huh. if they're legal, but then he asks who's legal, Bobby says he doesn't know. Nobody has any idea who the legal man is. And at that point, JL whips Dean into the ropes, and Alex Wright uses a crutch to trip him, allowing JL to get like some weird flippy shit pin that I don't know what the name is for. <laughs> I thought it looked cool though. Yeah, and and then it, it I liked it because it was like a very different thing was for uh, the face to cheat to help his team win. Right, and. Uh, yeah, Bischoff tries to justify that by saying that the heels had been engaging in a lot of their own extracurricular activity. <laughs> right. uh, so, okay, whatever. <laughs> I also like that Alex Wright celebrates like he had just won the match himself. Right. Too. Then, as the faces leave, uh, Pillman, Brian Pillman just runs out and DDTs Eddie right onto the uh, entrance ramp. Um I, for no real reason. I don't know if it's going to start a program for them or if it's just supposed to make Pillman look like a badass or just to play up that the horsemen are fucking around. I, I don't really know. Yeah, I, and I think that we're starting to learn that they'll they'll come back to things like weeks later. Right. So we, we might see this <laughs> show up, but it yeah. might not be. Do you be know totally... something that we don't remember? Uh, no, I'm just thinking about the, the shark and Scott Norton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> JL makes himself look like a total pussy by just standing next to Eddie rather than pursuing Pillman, even though Alex Wright is there and can check on Eddie and he's on crutches. So he can't go get Pillman. Go get him, Alex. So JL really just buries himself by looking like a total puss. Pillman that might be a thing too. Sorry. Um, that, you know, it's just, it shows a tendency at WCW really books their top guys really strong. And we'll do the expense, the mid and lower card guys, even if there's like no payoff for it. Yeah, well, this, yeah, because this also makes Eddie look kind of weak. And if there is something in the future coming up, then the, he could get that back and that's fine. But the way it comes off is not that this is starting. If I'm just talking about the way it comes across. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't have knowledge of what's to come, but uh-huh. it really makes Eddie look weak. It makes JL look uh, completely emasculated. <laughs> right. I get, I mean, it makes Pillman look somewhat like a badass uh, and just kind of crazy. Yeah. And he's not really started the loose cannon persona yet, but it could be an early, early seed of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't quite understand the point. We get a commercial and coming back from that, the announcers continue to speculate about the giant uh, block of ice 
that is still sitting there ominously. Yeah. Oh, and when they like do a really close up on it, like you can tell where the little ice like is. Yeah, it's obviously not ice, and there's obvious places where it's meant to break later in the show. Uh Uh, Yeah, and I liked uh, right before the commercial, they had like a promo picture for Harlem Heat, I think, Mm -hmm. and uh, Stevie Ray's wearing a T-shirt under his Harlem Heat gear. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool. Out. Out comes Harlem Heat with Sister Sherry. Uh, I know we've talked, we've had Harlem Heat on the show before, but we didn't really talk about them and their background. They are real life brothers Booker and Lash Hoffman. Uh, Lash. Despite being, yeah, Lash. Isn't that a weird name? <laughs> despite being billed from 110th Street in New York's predominantly black Harlem neighborhood, they are actually from Houston, Texas, and they came up through the Texas Indies, including uh, GWF out of Dallas, where they were the Ebony Experience. Ooh. They debuted in <laughs> 1994 in WCW as Cole and Cash, two prisoners that Colonel Robert Parker won in a card game. They would come to the ring in wrist and leg shackles, a gimmick that was quickly dropped because, holy shit, that's fucking racist. <laughs> right. In 1994, they were paired with Sister Sherry and reverted to the names that they'd used uh, previously in the territories Booker T and Stevie Ray. By this point, they're already three-time WCW Tag Team Champions. So they've had a lot of success already in the tag team division. Um, I, I also want to point out, because we, we've seen them before, but I didn't get to mention this. Harlem Heat is just a great tag team name. Yeah. It really is. It's I, I mean, I want to say that it's a little, not racist exactly, but it's playing on stereotypes that yeah. they're they're black, so they're from Harlem when they're actually from fucking Texas. Right. Um, but it is a sweet sounding name, yeah. and it lends itself to cool fire imagery on their tights and... Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a little uncomfortable, but ultimately it is a sweet name. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, that's true. I, I would say as far as like pro wrestling and like the many, many racial stereotypes they do. Yeah. It's like maybe the least. <laughs> it's low on the list. That's <laughs> right. for sure. Bischoff plugs the WCW hotline and promises that it will have all the info on last night's WWF in your house pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, though he pretends like he can't remember the name of it. So it's weird that you're plugging that you should pay WCW because you want the results of WWF so bad, but then you're acting like WWF sucks and who cares about it? So it's, I mean, I get, it's trying to serve two masters and getting people to call the hotline and providing wrestling news. Cause you know, this is early, early internet. So a lot of people wouldn't really have it yet that this would be their only access to any kind of backstage information. Uh-huh. Um, but it, but then they have to make sure to denigrate it too, including Mongo saying, that the name should be in your outhouse. Yeah. Which I must admit, I laughed non-ironically. <laughs> I thought that actually was pretty yeah. funny. Uh, also, I think this is around the time when Harlem Heat comes out and they get like pretty much like fucking firecrackers for pyro. It's right. Really? It's like so low grade. It looks ridiculous. It's like Gilbert's entrance. A yeah. little bit nicer. There you yeah. go. Bobby says that Sherry looks beautiful and, and she does look very nice. Yeah. Uh, Bischoff says that if Bobby thinks that's beautiful, he must be a sick, twisted, <laughs> demented individual. <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> right? That's so mean to Sherry, and it's pretty mean to Bobby. <laughs> I, I, I think that at the point, Bobby Heated didn't know how to reply to that. <laughs> Outcome out Sting and Luger uh, to take on uh, Harlem Heat. Sting seems a little scared by his own pyro, I thought. It kind of took him off guard. Maybe he was expecting the firecrackers and they got like legitimate. (laughs) (laughs) Hogan, I thought earlier sounded dumb when he was complaining about Sting stealing his look, but Sting is wearing red and yellow. 
He is not growing a Fu Manchu, though. He's got a full goatee coming in, so mm. it's that doesn't really come across as Hulkster as at all. But I don't know if, if Sting wore the red and yellow. Like, was this all planned? Was Hogan supposed to call him out for that, and Sting did it on purpose because they were teasing maybe these guys were going to feud? I think or so. was Sting yeah. just doing that, and Hogan took umbrage and decided to call it out in a promo? Yeah, I think that was like Sting's way of trying to get Hogan away from the dark side and the influence of the Dungeon of Doom. It's also funny to me, though, because Harlem Heat's wearing red and yellow. Yeah. yeah. Like, plenty of people wear red and yellow. He just decided to get pissed at Sting over it. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. Hogan's probably pissed at Harlem Heat for other reasons. (laughs) Sting Sting gets early offense on Booker T, including a hip toss over the top rope, which should be a disqualification in WCW. Bischoff claims it was unintentional. Uh, but it was clearly intentional. <laughs> like it was a fucking hip toss. You don't accidentally. <laughs> what would it guy. even matter if it's unintentional? I, yeah, they've got really bizarre. Like in football, if you go they, helmet to helmet with a we guy, we have yet to see that matter. rule actually enforced in WCW. They allude to it, but they've never yeah. once enforced it. They, they, it's been mentioned that um, if it's unintentional or if it's like a momentum based move, that they'll like allow it. They'll permit it. So it's it's such a loose rule. That it's like they don't they don't like enforce it unless it goes with a storyline. And we can agree it's a terrible rule, right? Oh yeah, oh like absolutely. It does nothing but limit yeah. the match. Like I think it's a holdover of like a, a Bill Watts. Yeah, yeah we Bill discussed Watts. that in yeah. the previous yeah. episode. Yeah, Lex gets tagged in, and mercifully we go to a commercial. It's like they're <laughs> like, oh, don't worry, you don't have to see that much Lex. We'll we'll go to a commercial. Lex Luger, the character, I thought was pretty compelling back in these times, but uh, Lex Luger, babyface in peril, was not right. Yeah, because when we come back from commercial, Stevie Ray has Lex in uh, like that shoulder-based nerve hold, mm. and I had the worst flashbacks to WrestleMania 10 because oh. that's the, where he spent about 15 minutes of a match in that same nerve hold from Yokozuna because Yokozuna... Yoko's trying to save his energy for, to have another save match later life. in the show. When yeah. Yokozuna's leaning over him and just like pouring sweat yeah. all over. <laughs> Gross. Booker comes in and unloads punches on Luger. Sting then decides to come in and attack him, uh, which is very face-like of Sting, to just come attack one of the legal men in the match. Like, Booker's, he's not disrupting a pin. The Mm. heels aren't cheating. Booker's just punching Lex, and Sting's like, no, fuck that, I'm going to punch you. He's my friend. (laughs) Booker tags Stevie back in, and uh, Sting is complaining to the ref about a whole lot of nothing so that Booker can choke Lex in the corner. Uh, at this point, the announcers start speculating what Yete is, and uh, Brain Brain tries to clear him up in this clip that you're going to hear right now. I'll tell you what, the gatekeeper of the Dungeon of Doom, still sitting perched up above us, hasn't moved, hasn't said a word. This giant block of ice, or whatever the heck it is, is giving me the creeps. And I didn't think anything could give me the creeps more than the Dungeon of Doom. Well, let me tell you one thing. The only thing that used to scare me in my life was my wife's charge card bills. But that guy sitting up there, yes, I am scared of that. He is a freak of nature, to be sure. Well, we don't even know if he's human. We don't even know where he's from, what Rocky came out of, or what he'll do. Obviously, he will do anything. What the heck is a Yeti anyway? A Yeti. You know what a Yeti is, like Bigfoot, an an animal that walks through the woods that people can't capture, that has a a scent and and fur and just a horrible-looking thing. Like, like that girl I saw McMichael's with the other day. I love how everyone is acting like they've never heard of a Yeti and they they don't even know how to pronounce it and they're yeah. all calling it Yeti. And Brain's just like, no, it's a fucking Yeti. What the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> right. He's the only person who sounds like he's from the real world. Right. 
Booker continues slowly taking Luger apart, including a huge uh, axe kick, which we've mentioned it before when Harlem Heat was on the show. That axe kick is incredible. Yeah. It's fun to see. I mean, he's a big guy, and he's so athletic. It's, it's really cool. We then get a really weird moment where Sherry uh, is holding a Polaroid and kissing it. Um, and it's a picture of her. It's a Polaroid of her and Robert Parker. And then she pulls another one out of the back of her pants. Uh-huh. And uh, Bobby wonders where she's pulling those from. <laughs> and Bischoff gets, like, grossed out. And then... What has Sherry got what now? Is that? It's a picture. Is that a picture of you and her in the dressing room? No, it's her and the colonel. Parker, that's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's a Polaroid. I wonder how many Polaroids yeah. they have all together. Why did she have that thing stuck, for God's sake? I don't even want to talk about it. It's shiny. So there you have it. 1995, a show predominantly watched by probably children. I know they're targeting the older male demo, but they've just heavily implied that Sherry Martell is pulling Polaroids out of her vagina <laughs> and then kissing them during this match. Um, The thing with the Polaroids, it looks like they're taken backstage at some point. Yeah, it looks like they were taken five minutes before these guys yeah. walked out. And I and I was like I was just thinking, who's taking these Polaroids? <laughs> That's a good uh yeah, I don't know. Well maybe Booker. Maybe Booker's just the like <laughs> Stevie Ray gets a headlock on Luger who almost gets choked out, but he manages to wake up and eats a side slam for his troubles. Booker then goes for a senton, but Luger rolls out of the way and gets a hot tag to Sting, who has punches, kicks, and splashes for the heels. He gets Booker in the Scorpion uh, Deathlock, but Stevie kicks him out of the ring. They then hit a double suplex on Luger, which allows Sting to sneak back to the top rope and hit a crossbody on Booker. That's that crossbody that he's been using as a finisher so often on Nitro. It looks terrible, too. Stevie looks like a complete moron as he kicks Luger in the corner while... One foot behind him, Sting covers <laughs> his brother for the one, two, three. It's he looks so dumb because it's yeah. right behind him. There's no way he could yeah. hear everything going on, and and Luger is completely incapacitated. He doesn't. It's not like he's huh. being prevented by Luger from breaking up the pin. He just doesn't turn around to hear the massive what the noise behind him is. I think this is the first time in a Sting match in which he's tried for the Scorpion Deathlock but then instead does the cross body for the finish. Yeah, I wonder how long that's going to keep going because most of his victories on Nitro have come using that cross body. Yeah, and, yeah. and the weird thing is, like, of his finishers, it's easily the least interesting finisher. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thing about Sting, too, because he, I mean, at least, I guess as I remember it, I think he started doing the Scorpion Deathlock after Bret Hart kind of caught on with a sharpshooter. Okay. But Sting never, ever worked on the knees in the match. I think ever. I, just to... Correct. I'm pretty sure that Brett got it from Sting. I think. No, that's that's fair. If you're, I mean, I, either way, though, you know, Brett Hart at least at least would like look at the knee before. Right. Yeah. Brett. Well, yeah. Brett was a master of isolating a body part, yeah. and you, yeah, absolutely. This victory for the baby faces is short lived because the giant and the taskmaster are in the ring almost immediately, and both uh, baby faces get choke slammed. Macho Man comes out to help which uh, manages to distract the giant from Hogan, who comes in from behind him. Uh, They circle each other in the ring, and Hogan punches him a few times, which the giant sells before he starts clubbing Hogan's back. Hogan then hulks up and staggers the giant with a few punches before slamming his head into the corner turnbuckle. Sullivan comes in the ring, which brings in Macho, and now the Dungeon of Doom, and now there's just a big old schmozzy fight in the ring. 
Hogan makes the Giant eat another turnbuckle, and I'm just so confused why at this point the Giant, who has shown no vulnerability whatsoever, why are they suddenly making him look weak before his debut match at the pay-per-view yeah. uh, on Sunday? What a horrible, horrible way of making him look. I, yeah, yeah. Or, or why are those two even fighting? I mean, they haven't fought for the six weeks leading up. Why spoil it now? Well, if they made him look weak before he got a clean win over Hogan, that would be one thing. Uh, right. And I don't want to spoil what's going to happen in Halloween uh, Havoc. Uh, uh, but if you think someone's going over clean on Hogan, brother, you got another thing coming. <laughs> yeah, something else, too, is the giant runs in chokeslam Sting Lex Luger, I think. And one of the guys is down on the outside. Like the whole I, time I he, noticed that, yeah. Yeah, there's like the trainer comes out and a couple referees are mm-hmm. there. And neither Sting or Luger like get in it at the end, so... They at least kind of made the giant look really good there with taking the choke slams and dying, apparently. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I mean, it, the by appearance, it looked like someone was le- legitimately injured on the outside, but uh, I was kind of distracted by that. I was waiting to see if you could see who it was, but they never showed it. At this point, uh, lights start to flicker and an ominous sounds play, and uh, I'll give you an audio clip of how this show ends. Maryland with it. He's, oh my goodness, I, what's this? Wait a minute, what is this sound? What, what is this sound? What the hell is this? This floor is shaking. I'm getting out of here. The floor is shaking. Good night. He didn't just took off. He didn't just left the broadcast booth. Get back here. This, what is that? So at that moment, uh, at the very end there, you could hear Bischoff uh, exclaim in surprise. What happens is we see the uh, iceberg that's been sitting there the whole show. Mm-hmm. It splits open, and for a just a moment, you can see that there is a tall, skinny man inside who is wrapped up like a mummy. Yep. He's a mummy. He's <laughs> There's nothing that looks at all like a Yeti about him or a Yet. Maybe that's why they say Yeti. Maybe they're trying to distinguish this is a type of Yeti that's actually a fucking mummy. <laughs> it's baffling. Right. It's so weird that they went with this look for this yeah. character. I almost want to give them benefit of the doubt that they were trying to create a new version of a monster. Because <laughs> it wouldn't make sense for someone to be mummified and then frozen in ice. Like... There's no ancient culture that would do that, you know? Yeah. But it, it's just clearly, yeah, they were watching old Turner, you know, horror movies or whatever and confused who the monsters. Yeah, this is up there with the Shockmaster level of, like, what the fuck was anyone involved thinking? Right. And it's so weird given that the direction of Nitro overall is to introduce a more reality-based, real sports feeling uh-huh. to wrestling. So the fact that all of that is going on, but then the main event picture involves a mummy who's called a Yeti breaking out of a block of ice that was found by Sherpas in the Himalayas at the direction of a guy named the Master who lives in a jungle cave. Like, (laughs) what what is going on with this storyline? There's still seven months of Hulk Hogan versus a Dungeon of Doom. I don't think that blow-off is until like April or May or something like that. And we will cover every single week of it here (laughs) on this show. You will not miss a moment. Uh, So that brings us to the end of our show. In the Raw recap this week, uh, we first, at the beginning of Raw, got a little uh, nugget that at the night before it in your house, Shawn Michaels had vacated the Intercontinental title thanks to his uh, fight with those Marines that we talked about. All those Marines? All those nine Marines. Yep. Uh, so he gives the belt over to uh, Dean Douglas, who then immediately loses it to Razor Ramon. 
Uh, so that happened in, in your house, uh, yeah. but I wanted to cover that in our Raw recap. Owen Hart on Raw won a 20-man battle royal for an IC title shot against Razor. Avatar defeated uh, a jobber. Alundra Blaze won the WWF Women's Championship from Bertha Faye uh, in what might have ripples on this show uh, months down the line. Yeah, maybe. And uh, Shawn Michaels conducted a very uh, sad, pity-me interview or he didn't conduct the interview. He sat down for an interview. <laughs> right. <laughs> he didn't interview himself, although that's the kind of thing Shawn Michaels would do. Uh, I believe JR conducted the interview. But Michaels basically used the interview to bury Dean Douglas by calling him overrated. And that's when he claims that he was jumped by nine guys in Syracuse. <laughs> oh, Shawn. In the ratings war, Raw won with a 2.6 to Nitro's 2.2, which isn't surprising because we've seen that uh, both shows end up getting a boost the night after a pay-per-view. So uh-huh. uh, this being the night after and in your house, that makes sense. Who on Nitro, Dave, was your match of the night? Uh, well, that one's pretty easy. That would be, even with uh, some of the confusion, there it would be Malenko and Benoit versus uh, Mr. JL and Eddie Guerrero. Um, and I wanted to just make a note at this point, since we're like six, seven weeks into Nitro, that Eddie Guerrero has to be like the overall MVP absolutely because he, yep. he I'm pretty sure he wrestles just about on every show and every match he's had has been like a contender for match of the night I would agree with that uh yeah. John what was your match of the night yeah mine would be the tag team match too um I, I didn't think it was the great. not the oh, <laughs> not the, the Harlem good, Heat sting the, no, the good Luger tag match. team <laughs> or the, yeah, better <laughs> tag team match um yeah again considering the guys in it and the amount of time they had it I didn't feel like it was that exciting but I'm going to make that unanimous. Uh, it's not a memorable match. It's not something that I would tell somebody they got to go seek out, but it is easily the best match on this program. And it's not bad. I, I, I hope that it doesn't come across like we're saying this is a no. bad match. It's it's basically an average TV match, but just given the participants, you expect better. That's all. Yeah, I would say kind of for future reference, like in the Cruiserweight division, because uh, Bischoff's referred to it as a potential Cruiserweight division. Right. Watching this, I hold those matches at a much higher standard than, say, you know, uh, Craig Pipple, Pittman versus Kurosawa. Right, right. So. All right. I'm going to start off with my MVP for tonight. My MVP was Bobby the Brain Heenan. Nice. He had some quality lines, some good jokes, and some good insight into uh, ways of hyping up the main event at Halloween Havoc. I really like Bobby tonight. I uh, loved his acknowledgement of the fact that everyone knows what a Yeti is and they should stop pretending like they don't. <laughs> So I'm handing it off to Bobby the Brain. John, who was your MVP of the show? Yeah, I'll go with Bobby, too. Um, despite all the money and uh, the re- resources they obviously put into um, the last push for the Hogan and Giant match, Bobby was the only one who actually, I really think, built any interest in it with his insight about mm-hmm. you know Giant being kind of a, a wild card at this point. All right. And Dave, MVP, are you going to make it unanimous? I'm giving my MVP to... The Yeti! You are not. You are not giving him. I refuse to allow that in the record books as the official MVP. What? I mean, like, pretty much everyone on the show had to say his name in that particular way. He he left his mark more than anybody else, right? For this week, he left his mark, and it's, like, one of the most comically awful, like, last closing moments of a Nitro Every report I read as far as recap was like the ending was ridiculous. So for this, this is his moment in the sun. 
the Yeti wow. gets my MVP. Controversial choice at best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we hope that you will tune in next week as we are going to recap the results of Halloween Havoc. Have all the fallout from that and begin the build for World War III. Uh, I also recommend that you use this week to watch Halloween Havoc on the network. Uh, however, if you don't want to spend two hours, 45 minutes watching a pretty shitty pay-per-view, <laughs> uh, you can also just go on uh, Vimeo and find the OSW review. There are uh, some Irish guys that run a video podcast covering classic wrestling and their breakdown of this particular pay-per-view is is particularly hilarious so well, that's, a, that's a nice little shout out there too yeah you. oh they're they're the kings of like internet you wrestling right go now through the fucking rough for, <laughs> Good for them. all right so we will see you next week where the big boys play 20 years of nitro Eddie guerrero with the assist juicer jl with a full court high flying double press body slam i'll tell you what he took these guys both down, and you got to get some velocity on that frame. <laughs>